Hello and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. My name is Jesse Cannon and I'm your host. And today I'm here with Nick Scott. Nick has done some really rad records, most notably uh, New Icy Stars record, as well as Tony Danza Tap Dance Extravagance engineered records for Conquer the Divide, Exotype Attila, Amur, Bless the Fall, and tons and tons of others. We get into some really cool things, and Nick was really insightful on this episode. So after you're done, if you enjoy it, go over to his Noise Careers profile, read through his profile, listen to his Spotify playlist, check out his discography, and get to know him. I think this episode came out pretty rad, so check it out. Hey, one second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. What's your chain for recording your voice today? I am using a Shure SM7B into just a Scarlet interface, and then running a couple of plugins currently, uh, like mm. the Wave CLA76. I'm really fond of that for vocals. It does a good job putting things up front. Then a little de-esser just so I don't crush people's ears. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why you're sounding so smooth. Um, <laughs> Can you tell me about your background in music? I guess I started out playing guitar. Um, I didn't really, I guess it, I, I played an organ a little bit in my grandma's house when I was really young, just out of fondness of music and the sounds of it. And then, you know, I would listen to whatever my dad was listening to on the radio. And then oftentimes the band Led Zeppelin would just catch my ear and, you know, everything that I would hear on the radio that really caught my ear ended up being them. So I ended up getting really into them. And Jimmy Page is a guitar player. You know, he's a lot of people would say he's not the best technical guitarist, but uh, he's very inspirational. So yeah, so about age 11, I started guitar and then it became a, a real obsession. You, you know, like people like Steve Vai and Guthrie Govan, those kind of people. Nice. So did that transition into playing in bands? What, what happened from there? Yeah, I kind of did a lot of local stuff with my brother. He played drums with me a lot. And, uh, you know, we started out in this little hardcore band that we called Taken by the Sea. And then that, that kind of simmered out after a couple of years. We didn't, you know, I was probably 13 or something. And that turned into another local band. And then I ended up jamming with a few former members of this band called Still Remains. I don't know if you remember that band. I, I do remember that band. Yeah, so Jordan Whalen and Adrian Bone, they call them. Mm -hmm. uh, we started this band for a little bit called Anthem Alone. You know, it, was, it had that Still Remains metalcore vibe to it that we're really into. And then, you know, the whole producing thing kind of took off and people got busy 
that kind of deal happen. <laughs> so, so tell me about that transition into producing. Well, honestly, it started out, you know, being part of that band and recording my own stuff. I, I realized, you know, Audacity wasn't going to cut it anymore. And <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't sound as good as it is. I had envisioned in my head, you know, I mm-hmm. guess I can imagine a lot of producers dealt with that at the beginning. And, uh, so it turned into just a, a goal of making it sound better and making it pleasing to the ears. And, uh, you know, just looking up all the information I could and calling different people to learn from them and all the in-between of reading books it just became a real infatuation. And then I, I started doing stuff locally with other people just for practice so I could figure out ways to apply that to my own music to make it sound better. People started enjoying the sound, I guess. And mm-hmm. then kind of started from there. I got started getting a little money for it. And then it became a real passion, you know, when I realized that... <laughs> I don't have to necessarily be pounding wood every day like I was at that time. So Nice. So do you have your own studio? Yeah, currently um, most of my time is spent at my home studio in Walker, Michigan, but mm-hmm. where I track is in Detroit. It's called 37 Studios. It's uh-huh. owned by Matt Dalton and Kevin Sharp. Mm-hmm. So most of my time, like I said, is spent here though in doing a lot of writing and mixing and mastering and uh I take all my projects from 37 and all the tracks and do all the nitty gritty stuff here. Nice. Can you tell me something that makes your studio unique? My mixing studio is really great. It's just kind of in the middle of nowhere in the woods, which Mm. I prefer. It's just kind of how I grew up. And a lot of people like that, being able to get away from, you know, maybe a a city lifestyle or a farm lifestyle. Who knows? They typically like it out here. I use a soft tube console one for a lot of Uh mixing. And I'm really, really fond of that. I don't know too many people who are using that currently. So it's so funny. I was like literally watching videos and like on the site looking at this last night. Like, really? is this is this my move for my home studio? Is this it, or do I just go duet? I, I can't decide. <laughs> I, I I tried it out at first, and I was really stoked on it. I I like the way it sounds as far as the SSL emulation goes compared to. Even the waves one sometimes, you know, like I'm, I really love that plugin even, but, um, there's a drive knob that Mm -hmm. kind of emulates the circuitry of the SSL consoles. And I, that's one of my favorite things for Hmm. (laughs) mixing technically. So nice. Can you tell me what instruments you play? Guitar primarily, like I said, and then I can program drums really good. I understand Mm -hmm. them. (laughs) I can sing pretty well. And then I actually play a really mean trombone. So. <laughs> <laughs> How often does that come in handy? Uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think about it, though. I, I like I like the whole slide idea of it. You know, it's all feel. Nice. Boundaries. Yeah. So we have like a thing that we say like with songwriting is like on one side you have like your Steve Albini's who really don't get involved in the songwriting or, you know, they'll maybe tell you if they like a take. And then you have a John Feldman who totally rewrites your songs when you come in. Where do you see yourself on that scale most of the time? I like to get as involved as a band will let me because no matter what, I'm going to hear some ideas as I'm listening to a demo or whatever sent to me or so when a band gives me that creative freedom I really appreciate it but some bands really don't want that so you have to know your boundaries I guess of where to go and that all kind of happens the first day when you meet the the band <laughs> I honestly I can say that when they give me full creative freedom that's my favorite thing because it ends up really good and I usually give them too much sometimes of content knowing that we can always strip it down and 
and not have to recreate something necessarily. We can just get rid of things if they don't like it. Pretty heavily involved if the band allows me. Nice. What do you think you bring to records most often? I, I think I try to really set the musician's standards high, not necessarily just in a technical standpoint as far as coming to the studio and really nailing something technically. It, it's more of like an honest take that I'm looking for. Mm. You know, that might require a small nuance in a guitar part that was a mistake. But if that's what was intended at that point and we really like it, I, th- I consider that a perfect take. G- good answer. I like that. What's a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio? Yeah, definitely. I would say overanalyzing their own music before mm. they come in. The, some people call it demoitis when you yes. over listen to something. And that's a real thing, as you can, as you yeah. obviously know. And, you know, that initial spark that you, you have as you're creating a song just gets tarnished after every time you listen to it, unless you go into it. I've noticed from an outside perspective, knowing that that can happen. And if you kind of avoid it, almost like uh, meditating, you know, mm. focusing your mind against that, it, it really helps to, to keep it fresh and then having your mind be in a different perspective and honestly looking for different things in the song. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I've been, this is such a common thing discussed on this podcast. I've been really toying with this on some of my recent projects that like what I'm encouraging the bands to do is I say, you can never listen to your demo back more than once. Don't focus on the mix. Don't get used to the way that sounds. Mm-hmm. If you make a mix, you have to change change the kick drum levels and the vocals drastically every time so that you're not used to the dynamic of that mix. And I have to say, like, I think that there is this thing of like, I think you're really right about this mindset thing. And then I think the other thing is, is that even with the mindset, you have to like almost go to war with not getting used to rough mixes and demos. Yeah, <laughs> that's really hard. I think that's part of being a a decent producer too is being able to understand that the people making the demos might not necessarily be doing it a certain way that you know you're mm-hmm. that's perfect in quality so you have to really listen through some of that stuff and and appreciate you know what they're going for there that's where the whole honest takes mm. it's all got to be honest nice so what's a smart thing you see bands do during the recording process i really like it when they come and they're they're just open right away because the technical side of music is really important as far as creating it, but it's just a tool to be, you know, as for an expression that we're trying to get across. So I, I really like it when they come in and they show me that they're human beings and they're not trying to, you know, stiff arm me or anything as far as being a lot of bands come in and they, they just try to be overly professional, I guess you would say. I don't like mm. to use that word too much, but they just put on this face where it's I can tell they're putting up a little firewall and I just want to get in there, you know, and pick at the brain and see what they're going for here. And that's, uh, that's going to give us an honest record. Uh, that's a, that's a great point actually. Yeah. Like the overly professional thing of like thinking this is how it's done. Like I, I I've been joking that they bands, uh, they've watched one too many of those Metallica making of videos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've come to the conclusion that the that those records that they did the making of of are like the most poisonous thing to a band's brain. It is. It's like the, I hate to say it, but like the Kardashians. Almost people get that mindset mm. of like the rich guy lifestyle, and they're like, "Why isn't mine like that?" Mm, yeah, no, right there with you. What happens when you and a band disagree about something? Now, I will state my opinion no matter what. Um, 
how strongly and how long I'll state my opinion. It really depends on the band's reaction to my opinion, I guess. So it, it might be a sour moment at first, but it has to be said as if it's part of the job as a producer is if you hear something and your brain hears something else or doesn't necessarily agree, you got to say it. Otherwise, you're not doing your job. So mm. I always like to vote too. you know, if, if I'm the only person in the room that feels a certain way, I'll let it go, obviously. But and, and, and no matter what, I'll always try anything. You know, if there if there's five ideas for this one part, I'm going to try every single one. It might take all day, but at least we get to try and have those options in the record. So that's really important to me, I think. Nice. So let's get into how you feel about some modern production techniques. Do amp simulators have a role in your productions? Yes, they do. Um, I, I like to track with them typically because you have a lot of options of just turning the gain down and not worrying about consistency between the whole record. You know, you can just that's mm. just where it's set now, and that's handy for just hearing different things in a guitar track. And sometimes I will I will use amp sims for a mix if it's a certain style and it just sounds good mm. right away. Or um, if I'm sent to mix, oftentimes people will send me what they consider their amp tone and it's typically a lot of times it's just a like pod farm or something which is pretty easy to hear but that has a certain sound that works for certain things so but i really 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 love to stick with the real amps as much as possible because you get the there's a there's actual air that's pushing into the diaphragm of a mic that it, it's not perfectly replicable i don't think yet in software but it's yeah. really close yeah, we've gotten drastically more close lately, but I still don't think it's uh, totally there yet. How about sampled drums? Definitely try my best to keep the integrity of the organic track, just because I like to, as far as tracking, I like to take a very modern approach on things as far as perfectly in time, or I guess I shouldn't say perfectly in time. It's exactly what we're intending for each beat, literally, like every pick, mm. every every vocal part is what we intend and that's what we consider perfect so and then in the mixing side i like to keep it almost old school and follow traditional ways of doing things and a lot of that is just using gates and eqs and compressors and and taking a minimalist approach on things and really getting good takes so you know if the drummer can't do that can't hit hard enough or something whatever it is i'll definitely pull out some drum samples and they'll typically be of his own kit though i'll i'll go in for mm. a couple hours and just hit things over and over for a really long time. And that way we can at least make it sound like his kit. Yeah. Nice. How about pitch correction? Yeah, I use it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you can't really get past it. That's part of the, like what I was saying with the modern approach of tracking and editing and stuff. Like for instance, Devin from IC stars, he doesn't re really require a lot of tuning and oftentimes his main track, I'll make sure is perfectly in tune every single word but then we'll do a duplicate track of the same line, let's say, and I'll tune it just a little bit looser because you get that that phase difference between the tuning. Mm. Otherwise, it just sounds a little, it's almost pointless having that overdub track if it's perfectly in line and in tune with the original track. So I try to use it smartly, but I definitely use it on everything. Nice. Do you have any favorite soft sense? I really like Yuhi products. They make one called Diva that I... Mm. Fond I'm not of. familiar. They make a lot of analog synth emulators, just simple waveforms that you em that you manipulate in your own way. Kind of like Massive. I really like Massive too. And then uh, yes, <laughs> uh, the 
there's this one that output just came out with called exhale and it's a vocal engine that oh really i've been looking for one of those so that might be my thing it's really great <laughs> it has lots okay. of presets first of all but you can load your own vocal samples and use their vocal engine to do anything with vo vocal chops you know elongated vocal turning it into synths whatever you want nice well i, I just put a to-do on my to-do list <laughs> um oh i did see this thing okay yeah it was came up as a Facebook ad the other day. That's how I found um, it. <laughs> <laughs> is it really? That's funny. Wow. Well, that shows how effective those are. Yeah. Do you master your own records? I like to, because I typically like to mix into my master minus some really minute things, you know, like a, you know, dithering and actual roll off points that help with DC offsets and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm not opposed ever to getting my things mastered if somebody... <laughs> who masters huge bands on a regular basis for their main career would like to master something I mixed. I would love that. I feel honored in situations like that. Nice. Is there something you believe that everyone else thinks you're crazy to think? I think it's just my older school, I guess, taste in music, but it's not really, I, I appreciate modern music very much too. Like modern jazz and classical is incredible stuff. And so is the stuff that I typically work with. But my heart, you know, it grew up on stuff like I said, Led Zeppelin. And actually, I was on tour with Icy Stars, and I had, there was this song, um, you know, the song Rock and Roll Hoochie Hoo by any chance? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, yeah. Awesome. I mean, don't, don't, don't make me do a bad imitation of that vocal. <laughs> you mean. can't, and I would love it because on this tour, <laughs> I was singing it full-fledged, like you, you just mentioned, and zero people knew that song, and it baffled me, you know? And huh. sometimes I feel a little segregated in that sense from other people that... My musical taste is really different, but it's not really. It's just very broad. I like to consider everything. I like top 40 music. I love hip-hop and SoundCloud music. I like everything. I, I, I'm curious what you consider SoundCloud music. There's stuff like Drew the Architect is an artist. Uh -huh. um, oh, what are some other ones I'm really into? Skrillex, honestly, he has some stuff that has that SoundCloud kind of vibe to it. Just yep. Trip-hoppy Usually it's a lot of in like musicians who who have a name and they take the vowels out of the word. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. I'm totally totally with you. Yeah, I listen to a lot of this too. So I love it, man. It's it's really mind bending. A lot of those people have like a jazz background and some of their mm -hmm. chord progressions and tonalities and sound design is that's the reason I listen to that stuff because it's inspiring. Yeah, like I'm really into. Uh, do you know Cashmere Cat? Oh yeah, awesome. that's like my favorite. Apex ever Twin. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. So. How long does it usually take you to record a song, and how long does it usually take you to mix a song? It varies. Like if it's a death metal, let's say mm -hmm. let's say we're working with a death metal song, uh, lots of blast beats. That will take uh, for a song. I would I like to give it three days to actually record it because that gives you time mm -hmm. to do your guitar and bass in a day, then your vocals in a day, and then your drums. And you typically get this little bit of extra time after all that that you can use for post production, or you can designate that time if you think in advance to move that to pre-production instead of post-production but you typically three days to record and then for mixing i like to give it typically a week but that's typically a cushion time because mm. i like to over deliver and under you know whatever that word is where you <laughs> tell underestimate the time that you give them i guess um okay yeah, yeah overcompensate yeah, or, yeah. yeah so but sometimes i'll get i'll get something and it's recorded really well and it's simple and there's not much needed and i could get it done and two or three hours for the mix and master. Nice. So what's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? I've learned mainly how to treat 
your passion as also a business in a way from people like Joey Sturgis and Eric Ron is really good at running his business as a producer and just the the sense of balance that those people have in their lives sometimes and I kind of compare that to maybe I don't have that necessarily and I do now you know I've spent so much time just really focusing on this craft that I know they have too but they their sense of balance in life is really uh it's I take that to heart as I observe it and um other stuff Joey taught me a lot of stuff as far as making good records go and the importance of organization and uh mm. and making sure your sessions are really really well prepared for whatever you need to do yeah no i'm i'm, I'm very big on that one too yeah i always joke that if you uh open a random uh set session of mine and you have a gun to my head and if you say like there's one thing out of whack that I have everything. I, um, I would totally be willing to put the thing that you could put the gun to my head <laughs> and the random one you put, you chose, I'm going to still be alive at the end of the day. Nice. Tell me about one of the best moments you've had in the studio. I really, really enjoyed my time working with uh, the Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza on their last <laughs> no, I love that. I love that band Dude, name. They, the whole experience is what I'm, tr- I'm going to give you for this answer. It's just because nice. there were so many good instances. There were terrible instances that were like baffling because at this point I had my own studio and there was a point where Josh and I were tracking guitars and it was probably four in the morning and we heard a crash outside and we, we ran out and some dude in a huge van <laughs> like crashed into Josh's car and hmm. he was really drunk and he took like locked all of his doors and it was just a terrible situation but with within all of that we made a really sweet record, I think, that huh. was brutal, and it, we just used all that to fuel the fire, and it was a good time. Nice. How about one of the worst moments and what you learned from it? I'll bring up Tony Dance again. Um, <laughs> Josh, Travis, he's a, one of my favorite people in the whole world, and mm. I was really young when I did the record, probably like 17 or 18 at that point, but, and he was, he, like he is now, he's he's seasoned, he's been doing this, and he's he knows a lot of stuff, and there was just an instance where he took me outside of my own studio and gave me a good a good lecture with a raised voice, you know what I mean? And mm. it really, at that point, it was scary to me because I'd never been yelled at by somebody who I was working with like that, but it really, really ended in me learning from that situation, and it kind of helped me grow up, and it was like a new chapter for me after that happened, so I love that dude. Nice. What is the musical bane of your existence? I don't like dogmatism in lyrics. Mm. That really makes. So, can you explain that a little bit more? Just people boasting things that are not facts. That are. I mean, obviously, it's can be seen as opinion. But when I, I don't even like it in real life when people will say something that should be factually based and it's not, and they don't have any re, like any any way to back that up. I think that you really need to be honest in everything you do with the song, and that's I I think that because I think people relate to it from an average listener all the way to somebody who's micromanaging the process of listening to your music, like a producer. That's why it has to be honest. It has to really cater to everyone that's listening. And the only way to do that is to not fake shit and not to say things that aren't true because people listen to the lyrics more than anything, I think. No, I I think you're exactly right. I also just think people, music is more resonant the more honest it is and the the more you're brave enough to say what's really, really honest inside of you, I think the more music ends up being resonant and the people who are scared to do that, I think oftentimes they don't make music people like. Yeah, people need to to feel what you were feeling at that point. And the only way to do that is to get it 
get it on paper at that point in time. And that's, that's all, that's all I'm talking about. Nice. Yeah. What's a perfect record somebody else has made and what about it makes it perfect? Fear Before the March of Flames, the uh-huh. Always Open Mouth. Yeah, it's a great record. I like that era a lot. It's like the same as Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child, Norma Jean. Mm. And I don't know what I like about that. It's just everything. It's the the lyrical content gives me chills. And it at that point in time in my life, it was like kind of pulling me out of little holes as a post-pubescent teenager kid <laughs> trying to figure out what music is. And they helped me really realize what music is as far as because I came from focusing on such a technical standpoint in jazz music and, you know, mm. guitar music. And they were kind of my first band that made me see the other side, the, the Zen side of music. Nice. So let's get into five of the, your favorite records and how they shaped your musical growth. Uh, can you tell me about a few of those? Yep. Led Zeppelin's self-titled album. It's just mm. the first album that I put headphones on to and fell asleep to every night. And you know, really gained a relationship through that to music. Steve Vai, Passion and Warfare. Oh, wow. That, that is not one I, I've thought about in a while. <laughs> I loved that record as a kid. It was really hard for me to choose which Steve Vai record, too, because it's all great stuff to me. It's, like, the best. Was it that That was also the one that, that was, like, all the Eventide DSP 4000 experiments, if I remember correctly? Oh, I'd have to look up what that is. I, th- I think he literally has it credited as an instrument on that record. Oh, isn't that the Harmonizer? Correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I literally think, like, he credits, like, the playing on that, like, <laughs> as an instrument. As an instrument, I can remember being so mystified. And that's, like, you know, I got that record when I was, like, 12 when it came out. And, like, I was just totally, like, wow, what the hell is that thing? And I always wanted to own one, and then I did. Not wait to go see him, like, because he's on tour with all the mega guitarists right now. Oh, is he? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that one, I already mentioned mm-hmm. Fear Before. Mm-hmm. Always open mouth, just because of you know emotional content of that. Norma Jean, Bless Marcus, the Child is definitely one of my top favorites. And, nice. And then I would say probably Guthrie Govin, it's, or Govin, mm. he pronounces it. I should say it the proper way. Guthrie mm-hmm. Govin, Erotic Cakes. He's mm-hmm. virtuoso guitar player, like jazz fusion, just untouchable guitarist in my opinion. The best. Couldn't think of a better guitarist. Nice. Three favorite producers. Uh, Ross Robinson is one of them. Nice. I like Eric Valentine a lot, and he did a lot of 90s. So, so do you have uh, any particular favorite records from each one? Well, I actually, a lot of the stuff I've thought Ross Robinson did was done by a bunch of people, so hmm. I like the Slipknot and Corn stuff he did, for sure. Yep. Eric Valentine, I like him because hmm. he does like all the 90s chick rock music, <laughs> yeah, yes. and that stuff is perfect, honestly. It's it's great music. All right, I'm just going to switch it to Rick Rubin just because he's done okay. everything ever. <laughs> nice. And some of those, I don't know, I guess modern days, a lot of people hate on him for not doing too much, but some of the stuff he's done in Abbey Road's studio, you know, for instance, is insane. He's just been around. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny when people say he doesn't do much. I, it's so funny to me because what it is is he's maintaining his objectivity and a producer's job is to get a good result no matter how they get there because no one cares that you get there as long as the record's good. And the way he gets there is he ha- hires a really good engineer producer and then he comes in and oversees it all and comes up with the good ideas that get the artist and fill in their blanks. Yeah, and and that, that's pretty traditional a producer engineer uh, mm-hmm. relationship and that's one thing i wish was around more often these days 
is that relationship because that line now is so blurred between yes you know engineer and producer i'd like to add one more producer too yeah mutt lang is insane Uh uh-huh i think that yes he's one of the good examples of perfect as far as everything goes it's honest i don't know everything tonality is like bizarrely good and i'm gonna say i'm gonna say it nickelback stuff sounds insanely good and he plays a huge role in that nice (laughs) don't necessarily listen to their music often but yeah, <laughs> everybody, if they mention Nickelback, you, you got to do the caveats. Like I always say I stole my uh, overhead technique from a round Randy Staub video where he showed the, the overheads he did for Nickelback. But I'm like, not that I listen to that, though. No, I don't, yeah, it's not a regular thing at all. <laughs> um, what's your favorite record of recent times and what inspires you about it? I like Code Orange. Um, I am King, oh, nice. and I just like it because it's it gets the point across. It's really 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 heavy and that's and you can tell that's what they're going for and some of the the looseness of the album is inspiring as hell because it still sounds so heavy and and together as a unit that's definitely my go-to right now nice so my last question is uh what have you been working on lately um i just finished playing a role in the the upcoming icy stars album Nice. Um, I helped produce that along with Eric Ron, and uh, mm. I did a lot of co-writing and even mixed and mastered a full song for them on the album that will be coming out soon. And it's really, really, really good stuff. I think it's for sure their best album coming up. And then uh, I've been working a lot on writing, so I have probably have 30 to 40 songs right now for different purposes for potential publishing and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, a lot of my time lately has been not focused on like the skill set side of what I do. It's more like the relationship side of things and, mm. and meeting people. Cause I didn't, you know, it's in Michigan, there's not a lot of people here as far yes. as, you know, every, everyone's out in LA. So I've been mm-hmm. trying to put budgets aside to make trips out to Los Angeles or, you know, any place that where somebody who'd like to meet me is I'll go to them and start a good, you know, work in a relationship or whatever, be their form in this industry. That's very, very smart and very cool. Yeah, totally. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 